Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Outback Talks, the employee engagement podcast. This podcast is produced by Outback Team Building and Training, a leading team building, training, and consulting provider for organizations across North America. I'm your host, Yasmin Shemesh, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about trends for 2019. We've got three wonderful guests joining us to share their expert predictions on what's new and exciting in team building, training, and coaching and consulting for the next year. We've got Jules Joyce, who is the director of events here at Outback, Lyndon Friesen, lead facilitator at Igniter Training, and Joe Brito, founder and lead facilitator at Innate Leaders. So let's get right to it. First up is Jules. She's a leader of our events team, and she sat down with me here in our studio to chat about what's becoming popular in team building right now and what kind of factors inform these activities and programs. We're wrapped up, if you guys could see us, we're wrapped up in fleecy blankets because it's a little chilly in here. <laughs> Winter is upon us. Yes, yes, but, uh, but we're doing good. Um, and Jules is actually based in Calgary, so it's probably a little colder over there. I am, and yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Do you guys have snow already? We do, we do. And now I think we're at the stage where the snow will stay for a while on the yeah. ground. But we have some sunny skies, just some crisp temperatures. That's good. <laughs> at good. least there's that. At least yeah. good. We're getting there here, yes. too. Um, so we are talking about what's new in team building for 2019. Um, but before we really get into it, let's start out with our quick tip of the month. So every month we ask our guests to give us a quick tip, um, which is basically just some short and sweet advice on the topic that we're discussing at hand. So say you're planning a team building activity for your company and you have a few colleagues who are a little bit hesitant in participating in something like that. So what sort of things could you say to them to reassure them that it's not going to be all cheesy trust falls? The cheesy trust falls. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think ultimately I try to focus on the goal of why they're there. So what experience they're getting out of being there and um, despite what the actual activity may be, it's about connecting with your colleagues um, and really getting to know them and looking at them from perhaps like a different lens and a different view. So participation is huge. Just letting people know that you're here. Let's get into it and make the best of what we've got and not to focus on that side, but just again, looking at the overarching goal of being there and that's just connecting, yeah. engaging. You know, having fun, yeah. getting to do something that's a little bit different than what they normally do. Um, luckily, our programs are geared in the sense that, you know, they're they're engaging. They really just make people sort of step outside their comfort zone and and get to know their get to know their colleagues. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's all about it's all about people, right? Yeah. Like, despite if whether you're in a working environment or you're with your friends or your family building those relationships and having good relationships with the people that you're surrounded with and that you're spending time with is important whether they're your colleagues or your close friends definitely and it's yeah. funny people still have that that old stigma of the trust falls and we've evolved as a you know as an industry in that in that manner so it's not um, it's breaking down that barrier as well, making them understand like it's not it's not about that anymore. It really does have a lot of validity in the workplace to engage in these kinds of activities. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, just enjoy being with the people that you spend exactly. all the time with. Yeah, exactly. You spend so much time with the people yeah. at work. So yeah. why not just try to 
um, step outside of what your day to day is, you know, talking about work and just doing something different and having fun at it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, what kind of things um, have you seen are shaping the direction of trends in team building? Is it based off of what's happening in human psychology, pop culture, technology, things like that? Or is it informed by something a little simpler? It's everything. Yeah. All of the above. I mean, pop culture, what's happening in the world is always going to be a hot topic. So, you know, we see it all the time that what's trending is what people are talking about at work. Mm -hmm. And that in inevitably gets transferred over into what they want to include in, in their activities. Um, Simple things can also play into that. So it's, you know, whoever we're dealing with and what they have on their plate. So a lot of the times we are um, faced with having to accommodate. So if, a, if somebody, if a customer has a shorter time frame or a longer time frame or they want to go to a specific location, it's really just about being flexible and fitting in with what they, what they are currently in need of. Mm -hmm. um, but pop culture yeah. is always going to play a huge part in what we do. It's what people see outside of their work life and it's what they talk about you know water cooler talk yeah and that's a natural transfer into any of our activities yeah yeah and a couple of our most popular ones are based off of reality tv shows Absolutely. like survivor and the amazing race reality tv yeah. shows are popular for a reason they mm -hmm. are in you know for the most part reality so yeah we like to we like to capitalize on that and it helps people understand it and they identify with it so we want people to have a good time at what they're doing and we want to uh, make sure that people can identify with that and again have fun while they're doing it yeah for yeah. sure and it's cool to watch something like the amazing race on tv and think like oh i, I want to do something like that and then you sort of can yeah exactly yeah exactly that's awesome um so from research um i've seen that integrating company culture things that bring the team together already has also become really popular in team building activities. So why do you think that is gaining momentum right now? I mean, culture has always been a focus, mm -hmm. um, but I think that now it really is more of a focus. People want to know that it's not just about their role and their job and what they're doing. They want to be surrounded by good, by good people. And that is, you know, it comes from the company. So culture is, is a focus, I think, for people who are are getting onboarded, they ask those questions during the interview period. What what do you guys do? How do you promote a good culture? And a lot of that is doing activities that aren't necessarily work related. And while we fit into that category of being a, a work activity, it's a fun one. And so these are things that are important to people as they come on. They, they want to feel like where they're going to spend a lot of their time every day is a good place to be. So we like to incorporate that as much as we can. And each organization will have different things that they focus on as far as what their corporate culture stands for. Mm. Um, and we you know, try to incorporate that and encapsulate that in what we're doing with mm -hmm. them. Yeah, it makes sense. And at Outback here, there's a lot of uh, craft beer lovers. So in that sense, I feel like something like a scavenger hunt or something that would include a beer tasting would be yeah, really popular absolutely. with and our that, team members. Here. And that is popular. We do a lot of that with yeah. our customers and culinary is always a huge hit. Food and drink. Who doesn't mm -hmm. like sitting down at the dinner table? We do this as a family or with friends and we're always gathering in the kitchen yeah. when it's social party time and as a family you sit down and that's the time at dinners to 
find out how your day went. And that, of course, is a natural transfer over to the workplace as well. It's always great to get outside and, and you know, talk a little bit about the people that you're working with and really getting to know them. Having a meal with somebody and having a drink with somebody is, it can go a long way. Yeah. So that's always been, that's been a focus for us in the sense, like, obviously, here at Outback, we like to do that. And we do get that request quite a bit as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's your food and drink and just sitting down across the table with somebody. It's the most simple way to connect. Simple act and definitely a way to connect. And yeah. hey, how are you doing yeah. you know, outside of that day to day? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and to that point as well, custom activities also seem to be becoming more and more popular. Why do you think that is? Is it sort of along the same, the same lines? Yeah, I mean, more and more more and more and more <laughs> customers want um, a unique experience for their group yeah so that can be anything from what's going on internally in that organization and their initiatives they want to incorporate that a lot of times it's where they're going as a group so if it's a retreat somewhere and mm -hmm. they're in a unique location they want their group to be able to come away from that experience saying wow that was great not only did we have these great takeaways, but we got to experience where we were visiting. And it's a huge, it's a huge impact. More and more we see customers looking for that incredibly unique experience for their group. Something others haven't done or they haven't done before. Yeah. So year after year, it's continuing that trend with people that we work with over the course of you know several activities over the years, they want something new every time. Yeah. I feel like also that would, just the planning and the thought that would go into creating something that's really sort of personalized for the people that you work with, I feel like in a lot of ways that sort of shows how much they're valued as yeah, well, right? definitely. And when we're talking to our customers, they know their group. Yeah. This is what our group is going to like. Similar to what we know, what we would like here yeah. at Outback, we, um, you know, they're, they also know exactly what their group is going to want and they can help us and guide us to create that content for them and mm -hmm. provide that experience for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about was uh, corporate social responsibility. And, and I feel like this is, this is something that's, you know, it's been part of businesses for a long time, but especially in the last few years, it's something that's been gaining more momentum and more companies are placing more importance on, on CSR every single year, um, which is really wonderful because giving back to the community or, or or a charity or anything that you can um, is so important, especially if you have a capacity to do it. And and here at Outback, we do offer quite a few philanthropic charity-themed yeah. activities, which is really great. So how does team building fit in with corporate social responsibility? And why do you think that more companies are starting to blend the two together, especially now? Yeah, I mean, I guess if I were to think sort of old school what that used to mean, it was most likely an actual monetary donation that organizations mm -hmm. would make to, you know, a local charity in their community. And now I think it's it just makes sense to combine it because that doesn't really involve your whole entire organization as much as it can if you're actually doing an activity that sort of gets that interaction and that engagement from your group. 
from your team, from your, your employees, like the ones who are making your company what yeah. it is, um, and incorporating that give back through that activity. I mean, as individuals, who doesn't like to give back? I mean, it feels good. We all like to do it in some way, shape, or form, whether it's you know donating clothes when needed. Um, so it's natural that the you know these organizations now can incorporate that um, while engaging their group and helping them feel like they're a part of the process. And I mean, we're just so much more aware now with social media. Everything is out there, and I think the world is just becoming a little bit more. Um, aware and conscious of the decisions that everybody's uh, everybody's making and and companies more and more want to be a part of the good doing things for the better of their community it kind of goes old school when you you know think globally but act lo but act locally and that's I think a big part of what people want to do they want to give back to where they are mm -hmm. um, you know a lot of these big organizations are in they could be in smaller towns or bigger towns and they just want to know that they're making a difference yeah and I think for employees that's important too. They want to feel that the company and the organization they're working for is making an impact, a positive impact. And as an individual, it's an opportunity for them being part of that organization to also contribute to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you feel like you're part of something bigger. Yeah. And, and that's actually making a difference. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You don't want to just go in and punch the clock and do your job. You want to engage and you want to know that at the end of the day, where you're working and what they stand for is just standing for something really solid and really positive. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's so important. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jules. It was you're so welcome. lovely chatting with you. Thank you. And thanks again for sitting and taking the time. You're welcome. Always a pleasure. Lyndon Friesen is a skill development coach and a lead facilitator at the leadership skill development company Igniter. They provide customized training solutions for different organizations. Lyndon sat down with me to talk about what we can expect from training in 2019, as well as the current state of communication today. How's it going, Lyndon? Fantastic. How was your weekend? Weekend was full of uh probably a to-do list, right? <laughs> like I've been traveling a lot lately right? and I think there's a few things that have just built up around the, the home that needed to get taken care of. So mm -hmm. not necessarily R&R, &R, but get to plow through a few things that have been sitting there. Yeah, that's good. Are you getting ready for the holidays? Uh, I am not. I am not. I'm probably <laughs> not the right person to ask that question because I'm not a, I like the, the perspective of holidays giving you time to think, but in terms of, um, uh, gearing up for the holidays and I find that there's a heavy commercialism around every holiday mm -hmm. that I probably resist yeah and um, so I'm really looking forward to some time off yeah uh, but not necessarily uh, lights Christmas tree um, you know some of the more traditional things around it but I'm really looking forward to some time off yeah I think well that's the most magical part really of the holidays whether you subscribe to deck going all out and decorating or, right. or not it's just to relax right. and enjoy that that time off and enjoy spending it with your family yeah. and yourself and all that that's awesome um so thank you for taking the time to sit and chat with me really appreciate it we're talking about training trends for 2019 what's new and what's emerging why these things are becoming popular um but before we really get into it we always like to begin our episodes with a quick tip of the month so if you are ready let's do our quick tip 
I think that leaders do a really good job of setting expectations with people mm-hmm. and the people that they work with uh, and spend a lot of energy on making sure that the people understand this is what I expect. But rarely do they do they ask for how do I help equip you mm-hmm. with the tools to be able to do that. And so an employee is often left feeling with the weight of the expectation without the support of how they're going to be equipped to fulfill that expectation. Okay. So I think the tip would be um, continue to do a great job on setting expectations, but don't forget the piece on how do I help equip you to fulfill those expectations. Right. And, and that way they're excited about the development to actually achieve the expectations that you have for them versus feeling stressed out that I've been given expectations, but I don't really have the tools to be able to, to meet those expectations. And so I would go spend as much time on how do I equip a person as you do on uh, setting the expectations for them. Mm-hmm. That's a great point because if you, you can have goals set, um, but if you don't have a, a way to reach those goals or to create a path towards reaching those goals, then it's sort of hard to get there. I, I think the creating the path is the right analogy to, to yeah. see because if a person can see how they can get from A to B because you're supporting them or mm-hmm. you're equipping them with skills, um, it becomes an exciting path versus a stressful path. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Um, all right. So... On that note, um, we're again talking about trends and I've done a bit of research before our chat here and one thing that um, I've seen become sort of increasingly popular is the development of soft skills like emotional intelligence. So first of all, can you define emotional intelligence for us? Yeah, I think in its simplest form, emotional intelligence is the ability to understand how your words, actions, and behaviors impact the people around you. Mm -hmm. And it's comprised of five different areas. One is self-awareness, two, self-regulation, three, motivation, uh, four, empathy, and five, social skills. Mm -hmm. But all of that is really uh, coming down to, are you aware of how you impact the people around you with your uh, nonverbal behavior, with your uh, verbal behavior? Um, are you aware of how it lands on the people around you and can you adjust accordingly? Mm -hmm. So in terms of it being a popular topic or trend, I think with the increase of technology, these introspective topics like emotional intelligence or assessment programs like DISC or StrengthsFinder, uh, Insights Discovery and so on, those programs become far, far more uh, exciting for companies to invest into uh, because we're not finding the time to communicate face-to-face like we would have once done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This relates to not just the workplace, um, but just how we communicate in general, yes. in life. Yes. Like, I feel like uh, technology has changed and shifted the way that we do that so significantly. Yes, I would agree. Yeah. I read an article actually recently um, that touched on this exact topic um, about how a lot of recruiters are becoming increasingly concerned that the next generation entering the workforce may be really technologically savvy. However, they may be lacking those sort of soft skills like emotional intelligence, especially when dealing with people person to person. Um, Yeah, so can you just expand a bit on your thoughts on that? I don't agree with it. And I don't agree with it because I think it's easy to look at one generation to another Mm -hmm and point out the difference 
and 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 put the cause of the difference on the other generation, especially whoever is the younger generation than you are. Mm-hmm. And I think there's as much work for boomers and Gen Xers to do on understanding millennials as there is for millennials to try to understand Gen Xers and boomers. And so I would put the, the emphasis is on all, uh, whether it's young, middle-aged, older people, the responsibility is on all of us to try to understand each other and not to try to impress upon the fact that it's different, therefore it's not as good. And so I think there is there's a lot of caution and concern that that companies have around, uh, you know, do millennials know how to communicate, mm-hmm. and or do they only communicate with technology? And I would just go, it's different, but different doesn't mean better or worse yet. So let's be very very careful in saying because it's different, they communicate differently. That therefore it's it's not as good as how we may have done it in the past. And and you could go back even a hundred years without the telephone being around and and it would, everything would have been face to face yet ask somebody who's a gen x or do you have a problem with telephone communication they'd say there's nothing wrong with it mm-hmm. well uh, somebody who didn't have a telephone probably had the same kind of feeling when telephones came in to say why aren't we doing face to face anymore so it's different let's accept that it's different but i think there's as much responsibility on every age category to try to understand each other than there is on somehow saying millennials don't know how to communicate Absolutely. That's super interesting to me because I feel, me and myself, I feel like I'm, I sort of, I, I grew up in the early 90s. I was born in 86, grew up, you know, in that interesting in-between stage where I remember not having all of this technology and then experiencing having a little bit of it and then the huge boom and growth sure. of it. And now where I'm in my early 30s and like our whole way of communicating is so much focused on social media and everything's on our phones and all of that stuff. Um, and so I think for me personally, I'm, I'm sort of, I feel like almost old school in the way where I'm almost nostalgic for the way that things used to be. But it's an interesting point because, I mean, you could say the same for any generation before where they said, no, 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 the way that I communicated in my generation was the best. And the next generation, they're just, you know, they don't get it, yeah. but yeah, I thought you could apply that to to everybody. I th- I think it's just too easy to mm-hmm. blame. Yeah, you know the latest generation is having not got it right. Mm-hmm. They're product of the generation. It's not their fault. The mm-hmm. technology is here, and so we're all being asked to use technology. It's not going to go away. So the question is, how do we still connect with people and realize that a lot of communication is nonverbal? Mm-hmm. So we should be aware of that, but there's lots of tools to help us with that, video conferencing and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do we intentionally carve out those times between employees uh, to foster good communication? I think we have to be more intentional than we had to be 20 years ago or 50 years ago, because I think it would naturally happen. You just didn't have technology as a barrier to face-to-face communication. Today we have that as a tool that's used all the time and it's a, it's an acceptable tool. Mm-hmm. So how do we now carve out intentional time to still be able to look people in the eye, understand uh, the nonverbal cues that they're giving off when you're communicating? So a little different, um, but it certainly isn't a generational problem. It's everybody's mm-hmm. opportunity to mm-hmm. try to still carve out intentional time to get to know people and understand them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Speaking of communication, um, we had Summit uh, Outback's annual company retreat a couple of weeks ago, and you led us through this really wonderful session about communication. 
and uh, yeah, and and totally just branches off of what we were just talking about. Um, so you were just saying, like on a, on a person-to-person level, we can make little efforts to try to improve that. So what kind of things could we could we do, um, especially if we're say for example workers who who work remotely um, and who aren't given the opportunity to be face-to-face a lot of the times Um, so what sort of things could we do to jump over those inverted commas um, barriers or hurdles I think there's still I think there's still some rules of thumb or principles that need to be followed and here would be a few examples one is on conference calls whenever you can conference Mm -hmm. people in through via video and see each other's face uh, it helps. Yeah. Two is multitasking in meetings mm-hmm. has to, you know, be cut down or eliminated. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to actually be productive in a meeting and you're deemed to be valuable in that meeting, uh, I do believe that there's a lot of discussion that happens. Maybe not as many decisions as could happen if people were focused and attentive to what was actually going on in the meeting. So mm-hmm. the idea that you could bring your laptop in, your cell phone in, and respond to emails and text messages throughout a meeting. I think has to be dramatically reduced or eliminated. Mm-hmm. Forcing people to hear each other's voice and listen to the tone that they're using and the words that they're saying. And then uh, maybe a third one is a conflict, uh, is fight hard to do it face-to-face. Mm-hmm. And sometimes time doesn't permit that or geography doesn't permit it. But conflict is a big one when it comes to understanding nonverbal communication and hearing people out. Mm-hmm. And you will often progress through the conflict much faster if you're able to do it face-to-face. So there are some rules of thumb that that still apply from 10 years ago or 50 years ago. Um, Distracted, uh, you know, in meetings, try to eliminate it. Um, Conflict, face-to-face if at all possible, never in an email, never in a text message, at a minimum over the phone, but if at all possible, uh, face-to-face. Uh, so there's principles to still follow that I think are worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Another thing that really stood out to me during our sessions at Summit um, was the concept of building future leaders. And um, it was mostly about providing the tools to potential future leaders so that they can develop and grow um, and even going as far as using that concept as a hiring tactic where your whole team is filled with these sort of A players who could potentially reach that level. So why is it important to continuously look ahead when it comes to your leadership team? Um, why would you not simply focus on just developing who you have already in place in those positions? So the development of people, there's many different factors to consider. One is just, does the person want to be developed? Are they really happy where they're at and they'd be happy there for the next 10 years and they want to fine tune their skills, but they may not want to have, uh, you know, an evolutionary type change uh, both in the organization or even outside the organization so they may be really happy where they're at Um, so one of the things to think about is just which people on the team are pretty passionate about growth not just because they want more money or more responsibility although those are two good motivators Mm -hmm. but just who's pretty passionate about growth and so that's worth considering whether you're an A player or not an A player is just who's excited about that Another one is just the expectations that you have in the organization to meet certain key performance indicators. Are we achieving them or aren't we achieving them? And if we're not achieving them, the, you've got two levers to pull. One's your work ethic, and the other lever to pull 
is your ability. And so the investment of, of all people, whether they become A players or not, is necessary if you want to achieve your key performance indicators. The other one is you don't know when opportunities arise. And you don't know who's going to fit that opportunity when the opportunity arises. Uh, and so you're certainly expanding in terms of who may be available to even apply for that role when it comes up. And I think choice is always worth trying to create in your organization in terms of people. Mm-hmm. And then if you think of employee engagement, uh, it's not uncommon for the number one driver of engagement is growth. Mm-hmm. And, and if people feel like they're growing, whether that means change in pay or not, change in responsibility or not, but they feel they're growing, that's a, a very, very meaningful driver of employee engagement. Mm-hmm. And so that's not just for the A player, that's for all players. You ask an employee, do you enjoy growth? And almost every employee you talk to will say, I enjoy the opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. And so that investment should never be, uh, you know, focused just on, you know, your A players. It should be focused on everybody. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So assuming you've done a great job hiring people, Mm -hmm. right? You've got a bunch of people who want to grow, right? And who enjoy challenge who enjoy, uh, you know, learning from each other, learning from uh, people who are there a little longer, learning from whoever they report to, that they're actually excited about it, not threatened by it. Yeah, it's that alignment, everybody being aligned. Right. Yeah, for sure. So now, is there anything else that you've just sort of seen as the as 2019 approaches us anything that you feel is going to be really prevalent um in training over the next year well i i think um you know i've seen some organizations get it that that training is not an individual event mm-hmm. so we're known as an event driven company we do events for for organizations but the event is if anything it's it's the starting point but it's not the end Mm -hmm. and so uh, there are some organizations that that have a plan to implement whatever it is their team has learned and there's other organizations that cross their fingers and hope something gets implemented Mm -hmm. after we leave and I think it's very important for organizations to, to have some form of a champion or a plan in place to bring to life the learning that people will have been aligned on or agreed to during the event and they're excited to actually implement because when you implement that's where the real change happens that everybody desires and so uh you know that's a trend that i'm seeing more and more is companies are taking on that responsibility of going how do we keep this alive Mm -hmm. when the facilitator is gone Mm -hmm. how are we going to hold ourselves accountable when the facilitator is gone and so we do an exercise at the end of each session which gives people the opportunity to commit to the learning that they've just experienced. And it's an invitation to their peers to help hold them accountable to that learning. However, there still is a need that when the training is over, that somebody is still driving home that learning and creating the new habits. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's the part that to me, I see more and more companies doing, is they're realizing the importance of making sure that if it's not intentional after the facilitator leaves, Mm. it likely won't take hold the way they were hoping it was going to take hold. Right. Right. Yeah, because you could have an amazing session and everybody's super excited about it. And then if you don't have that that sort of strategy to maintain it, then it all goes out the window and you tend to revert back to the way that you were doing things before. 
Absolutely. Yeah, sort of like what you were mentioning in the very beginning of our chat, that creating that path towards reaching your goals. Yeah, how do you help people hold it uh, in a position of consciousness? Because I think you're right. You go back to what you were doing and we go back to our unconscious habits and and that will take over again for us. And so how do you keep it at a conscious level to at least allow these newly desired habits to take form? Mm -hmm. And that's a challenge Mm -hmm. for sure. Well, thank you so much again for sitting and chatting with me, Lyndon. It was awesome. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you so much again. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, Joe Brito joins us. As well as being the founder of Innate Leaders, Joe is a psychological coach who is passionate about helping others develop leadership mindset and behaviors. In our interview, Joe discusses some of the themes that are expected to be most prevalent in coaching and consulting in 2019, along with the importance of our mindset and the great power that it holds. Thank you so much for joining me today, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So um, we are here today to talk about coaching and consulting trends for 2019. Um, But before we get started, let's begin how we always do, which is with our quick tip of the month. So Joe, what is one thing to keep in mind if you're considering bringing in a coach or consultant to your workplace in 2019? That's a good question. I think that probably the most important thing I would say to a potential client and not necessarily a client of mine but just any client who is kind of thinking that is be really clear about what you're trying to get from the experience so if you're if you're trying to you know let's say do like a process map because you're trying to figure out is there places in your business to create more efficiencies well I would be really clear that that's what you're trying to get because different consultants different coaches have different specialities so if you know what you want then you know what kind of consultant to go for. Right, so just ensure that you have a sort of a clear, specific vision. Yeah, I think it's important to have like, this is what I want to achieve, this is how I'm going to measure it, and this is how I'm going to know that I've succeeded. And then if you start from there, not only does it make it easier for the consultant or the coach that you're speaking to, because you know now they know how they can best help you, it right. also makes it more efficient for you because you know what you're trying to achieve. Right, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. No worries. Um, so when it comes to coaching and consulting, um, we've noticed in research that there are three areas that more teams seem to be focusing on. Leadership team cohesion, misalignment to goals, and change management buy-in. And, and we'll go over these a little bit in more detail um, as we chat. But just to start, why do you think these specific things are becoming more important to focus on lately I think so I think because in the you know the economy that we live in now in the world dynamic that we have now flexibility is really important mm-hmm. and all of these things are really talking about that right so like the whole idea of kind of team cohesion is that if your team needs to be flexible and adaptable and change to market forces you need to have a strong team to be able to do that if your team is kind of breaking into silos or if your team is kind of arguing for their department or they're arguing for their P&L, mm-hmm. they're not really working in the best interest of the uh, the enterprise, which means that really we're not, as a business, we're not really going to be able to pivot quickly and effectively. So team cohesion is super important. Miss, 
misalignment to goals is really all about are we positioning ourselves in the market or are we even aiming for the things that we should be aiming for? So you can see that it's kind of related to team cohesion because if we have a strong team, we're thinking about um, ourselves three, four, five years out and we have the stability within the team to plan that far out. So misalignment to goals is like it's very possible that we can be kind of doing things that we think are kind of good for us and helpful for us, but is do we have the strategy to develop what we need to to make that thing happen? So that's kind of where that's at. And I think because of the you know, the way that the world is now, the way that market forces are, the way that things move so fast now, we have to be really clear about the goal that we set for ourselves and that we're fit for purpose to achieve it. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, uh, change management, it's always important. Change, you know, change management has been around for an awful long time. And it's all, you know, like the reason it's there is because it's always true, right? If I'm going to change something, I need to have buy-in from the people who will be most directly affected from it. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard to make that change stick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. It's very true, especially in the nature of our world today and how everything works is you have to be so flexible and have to be so quick to adapt to the way things are just shifting so quickly. You know, that that the way that we kind of operate in business now is so fast and the pace is so frenetic that sometimes... You know, like lots of times I go into businesses and they say, you know, like the strategy thing and the mindset thing, it's all really important, but I just have to get this thing done now. And I think it's kind of a funny way to think about it because the mindset work, the strategy work is the thing that allows everything else to happen, Mm -hmm. right? So if we don't have time to do mindset work, if we don't have time to do strategy work, I think it's kind of, we're kind of setting ourselves up to fail in some ways yeah you have to have that as the foundation before you can really grow anywhere i mean like obviously i'm totally biased right but i think (laughs) but i think it's true that you know that if you you know that if you don't build from a strong foundation how can you do anything else that's how comes things like misalignment to goals happen Mm -hmm. right because we don't have the foundation necessarily we're kind of off doing things that we think are good ideas but we haven't necessarily thought them through we haven't necessarily designed a strategy for it we haven't necessarily thought about are we fit for purpose in order to achieve that thing, you know, those are all the problems that kind of happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, On that note, um, one of the things that I I really was looking forward to talking with you about today is about mindset. Um, And I know that a lot of your work, yes, (laughs) and I I know that a lot of your work is, is informed by mindset and the importance of mindset and how it can profoundly affect the way our behaviors work in a yeah. work environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can you can you just elaborate a little bit yes, on that definitely. concept and, and how it relates to okay, our work so, practices? So I've been kind of talking a lot about, I sort of got on this track for some reason, about kind of flexibility. Um, so what mindset is, is it's, it's, it's a way of looking at the world born out of our experiences that leads to a certain set of behaviors. Mm-hmm. And if we, um, you know, we haven't all had those experiences, so the work that we do um, here with Outback is we sort of start to think about how can we help people to cultivate those experiences, which obviously leads to a shift in thinking, which then we apply that thinking to the way that their business operates. So it's basically, if I shift the way that I think, then that means I can look at the challenges in my business differently, which means I'll come up with different answers. That's kind of basically it. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, the attributes of a leadership mindset, there's six of them 
And so, you know, so there are things like genuine curiosity, which is kind of all about um, a learning mindset. So it's all about being genuinely curious about how can I do this thing differently? What do I not know? You know, all of those kinds of things so that I'm continuously learning and continuously pushing the envelope of what is possible or what I think I can do because I'm intrigued to ask the curious questions that allow me to see things differently. That's kind of that. But that works in conjunction with something that I call flexibility of mind, which is about, let's say you're curious and you've asked yourself all sorts of different questions, so you've come up with a whole bunch of data, let's say. Well, flexibility of mind is about how do you put that data together in an interesting way that allows you to move into a different um, perspective, right? So things like that are kind of important because what we're really saying with a leadership mindset, I suppose the opposite of a leadership mindset is perhaps the best way to think about it, that the opposite of that would be I'm, I'm kind of rigid in the way that I do things, which means that I'm kind of doing the same things over and over again, that I'm not kind of aware of challenges or, or market forces that are happening around me because I'm not curious really, and I haven't found any way to um, identify what those market forces might be outside of the business or even inside my business, and as a result of that, I'm not seeing those data points, which means that I can't be flexible in my thinking to come up with something different. Does that make sense? It yeah. sounds like I kind of chatted a lot. Yeah, there. no, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's about it's about opening your mind to allow different perspectives to yeah, come out. Yeah, I think it is. You know, you know, like I think it's fundamentally about not being attached to a certain way of doing things, being willing to entertain the fact that you could be wrong, and by doing that, um, giving yourself the opportunity to explore challenges in your business in new and different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I hear fairly often sometimes when I go into certain businesses or if I'm just kind of speaking to business owners is that they feel, you know, one of our challenges is we don't know what we don't know. And as a result, when we kind of tackle a problem or when a problem comes our way, we tackle it in the way that we always have, mm -hmm. which is fine. You know, like in 98% of the time, that will work just fine. But 2% of the time, it won't. And 2% of the time, we don't need to do things the way we've always done it. What we need is to find a completely different way of doing it. And the funny thing about that 2% is if we're able to make that shift, and in my world that would be a shift in the way that we think, that doesn't represent a 2% improvement in your business. It represents an exponential shift in your business. Because if you can think differently, then it means... I'll think differently about the problem that I've got right now, but I'll think differently about problems that are coming down the road that I've never even heard of yet. Because once you shift your mindset, that shift your mindset stays. You don't, un you know, like you don't unshift your mindset. It mm -hmm. stays with you. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of the benefit, I think, of the work that, you know, the, you know, the leadership mindset work that we're doing with Outback, because it really is about once I get that shift in perspective, it stays. And that means I don't need consultants, you know, again, including us. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of our goal, right? Our goal as consultants isn't that we sort of come in and we work with your business for like five years or something like this. If we're there for more than a year, really doing the same work, then we've kind of failed. Because mm -hmm. really what we should be doing and what we s strive to do is help your people to think differently uh, and embed that through the implementation of a change process in your business that allows people to start to kind of work with 
these ideas on a real everyday sort of basis. Mm -hmm. We find that once we do that, and that could take anywhere from six months to a year or something like that, once we do that, the initial shift in thinking becomes um, part of the way that they think because they've started to apply it to real world business Mm -hmm. challenges. So at the end of our time, really they just don't need us, like I say, that they go, yeah, you know, thanks. Thanks for that. We have kind of a, a different way of thinking. We have an understanding of how we apply this to our business world. Um, you can go, and we can do that next time right. a problem comes. Right. Yeah. It's it's learning, learning really learning a new skill and allowing yourself to utilize it and to grow. Yeah. And I think about it like I'm kind of pedantic about this sometimes, right? Because I don't really think about it as a skill. I think about it as a way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. So if I if I learn a skill, the problem with that and the reason why I don't really like that word skills is, you know, is, you know, is mostly because if I have a skill, then what I tend to do is apply the same skill in different circumstances, right. which may or may not work, right? So it's that, right. you know, like, I'm sure you've heard that thing that goes, if, you know, if I give somebody a hammer, if then everything that they come across as a nail, right? If the only uh, tool you have is a mm-hmm. hammer, then every problem you come across is a nail. Mm-hmm. And the problem of that is, well, actually there's so many problems that aren't nails. But if you have a shift in thinking, then you're flexible enough in your own thinking to be able to adapt what you're doing to suit the problem that is in front of you. Right, you can figure out what solution you need to, to find. Yeah, exactly. And then like you can make your own tools, right? Cause, right. Like, very often we go into businesses, we do the mindset work, we start to apply that mindset to the business challenges. And what you find is um, leaders, managers, they start to develop tools that were different from the tools that they made before because mm-hmm. they're looking at their world differently. So they come up with systems and processes that are different, obviously, than the systems and processes that they worked before, but will work in mm-hmm. this circumstance, in this situation. And if it comes to a point when these systems and processes don't work, they have the flexibility of mind to be able to shift them. Mm-hmm. What can we do now? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. So now, uh, looping back to um, being misaligned with goals, um, yeah. what are some signs um, that a leadership team might be misaligned? Especially when you have you know, a team that has maybe different strengths or are vocal about different things or yeah. are... So yeah, so different perspectives. Sure. So kind of misalignment to goals is really about as a business, are we doing what we want to be doing and are we heading in the direction that we right. want to head? So the kind of things that you sort of notice when your business perhaps isn't aligned the way that it needs to <clears throat> is your is you have like a vision or you you have an objective and you're kind of forcing your business or kind of shoehorning your business into achieving these goals when they're not necessarily set up for it right so as a kind of really practical example what about if i'm trying to um if i'm trying to um create a perception of my business as being strategic let's say Mm -hmm. and i don't have um enough strategic thinkers in my my staff well that's going to be really really hard to do Mm -hmm. so what I have and what I'm trying to do aren't joining up and aren't syncing up. So what I need to do in that case is start to develop a strategy for how can I, what do I need to do in order to achieve the goal that I'm trying to achieve? But the whole idea really is, is the thing that I'm trying to achieve, is my business set up in order for me to achieve it? Mm-hmm. And then again, it's about 
if it's not finding that perspective to help you figure out how to get it on track one of the things about flexibility mind that is kind of an important thing for me is this idea of a um a cherished idea mm-hmm. right so a cherished idea is an idea that I'm kind of attached to and I sort of keep on doing and may even kind of pig-headedly move toward it because I think this is the right thing to do and I've come across lots of businesses lots of individuals who have been working toward their cherished idea without recognizing it to be a cherished idea because if I'm very attached to something we have to start to question why am I very attached to it mm-hmm. so is it because it's a really good idea, in which case, great, but how do I know it's a really good idea? Have I tested it? Have I checked it? Have I done? Have I exhibited genuine curiosity to learn if I could be wrong? Mm. So the point there is that if I am um, trying to get something done, it's necessary, I think, in my worldview, to be kind of flexible and entertain the idea that I could be wrong about right. something. Right. And that's part of flexibility of mind right that's part of a leadership mindset that it's not just about getting an idea and kind of running with it it's about having an idea testing the idea making sure that the idea works Mm -hmm. right but it's worth kind of thinking about our motivations it's worth kind of thinking about why we want to do things and if that's the case okay is this Mm-hmm. the best way to be doing it. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, so going back uh, again to cohesion within a leadership team, um, how do you cultivate something like that? Yeah, that's a really big question. Like, seriously big question. Cause, cause I think, Loaded question. <laughs> well, I, like, I'm not sure if I have, like, a really short kind of answer for you, but I have, like, some thoughts. How about that? Because I think that the first thing is, is that if we are clear about what we're trying to achieve as a business mm-hmm. that's our first step and I guess that's maybe where the overlap is with the misalignment to goals that we were just talking about right right so I think that like our first step really is is are we clear about what we're actually trying to achieve number one mm-hmm. number two then is is this idea that do we have a team who is willing to be flexible together who is willing to be curious together and I think like those things are important uh, you know like there's there's, you know, there's another aspect of uh, leadership mindset that comes to mind too, which is enterprise thinking. So it's about kind of lo- looking at um, the interest of the business versus mm. th- um, the interest of my business area or... Mm. The big picture. And, and those are the things that are really important to have cohesion within a leadership team. So we're all looking in the same direction. We're pulling on the same road. Right. So, you know, so that's important. And the way that... We do that is we make sure that, you know, if I have somebody on my team who is flexible and they're, you know, like they're really thinking outside the box to use that sort of phrase. And then I have somebody else who is very kind of process and very, yes, it has to be done this way. There's, you know, there's a potential for the team to start to, to struggle. Mm-hmm. So that's why what we normally do is we work with, t- with teams as a whole to kind of start to kind of cultivate this idea of a leadership mindset because it puts them in the same mindset mm-hmm. to work together, right? So they're willing to be flexible. They're willing to be challenged by each right. other. They're willing to be, uh, you know, they're willing to be kind of um, reminded that they might have a cherished idea, which is making it difficult now to have a conversation about whatever it is that we're talking about because you keep coming back to the same point over and over and you seem to want it to be done a certain way but maybe there's a different way of doing it and those kind of you know sometimes subtle but sometimes really um meaningful challenges cause some significant problems in teams 
right? So you can imagine, I'm sure, that if you have someone who has a certain way that they want to get things done, and that could be for all sorts of reasons. It could be that they've been in the business for like 20, 30 years and they've seen everything and Mm -hmm. they kind of know how things should be done, or at least they think they do. The other reason could be that they are really protective of their teams and they don't want things to change too much for their teams. So even Mm -hmm. though everybody else is kind of talking about how do we do this or how do we restructure or how do we blah, 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 these people are thinking, actually, I need to protect my team, so I need to kind of push back against anything that affects my team. Especially at the leadership level, it's really important that that team functions as one team, Mm. right? You know, like I'm not saying that it's okay that if it's like a frontline team that they don't function as one team. I'm not saying that. (laughs) But I'm saying like your leadership team sets the tone for the business. Whatever they do and however they interact will bleed through the entire business Mm -hmm. and will set the model um, for how we expect people to operate. Right. Yes, again, being on all on the same page and understanding that yeah. you can be flexible and, and find different solutions for things. That's the kind of thing, you know, like, like I think when you have cohesion in a leadership team, it's like, you know, personally for me, it is something inspirational to behold. Mm-hmm. So you get this kind of virtuous reinforcing cycle where people are looking out for what's best for the business mm and receptive to changing whatever they need to change in order to achieve the goals of the business. Right. And especially in a world like today where, as we were talking about before, where everything is changing so quickly and technologies are changing and marketing is changing and strategies are changing and just everything is just frenetic and moving. Yeah. It's important to to be flexible. I think so. And, And like, that's that point that I was trying to make before about like, if, you know, like if we have, um, a hammer than every problem we come across right. is, is a nail. And that's kind of sort of the thing that happens that if I've been in, in a business for a long time, or mm-hmm. even not, even if I've been in leadership for a long time, I might get into this place where I start to think, I've seen it all, I've done it all, I know how mm-hmm. we should respond. But for all of those reasons that you just said, that's not true, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not saying that your experience doesn't count for anything, but now your experience counts for something different because you know what we need to achieve and with genuine curiosity for example we're going what else is is out there that is going to help me achieve it and then flexibility of mind how do I put all of those things together to come up with a strategy and then back to enterprise thinking which is for the benefit of the business not just my team like do you see how they all like it's hard for me sometimes and I'm eternally frustrated that it looks like we're talking about all these different things when really we're talking about one thing. Right. Right. And it's just dif- different facets yeah, like of the diamond, same thing. You know, yeah. It's like I think it's like a diamond. Is it is it a diamond that like you like like you cut it in all these different ways and it, and, and it, and it looks the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So but it, but it, but it is the same on the inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a nice way to say it. That's a really <laughs> nice way to say it. That like the core of it is a leadership mindset, but if mm. you look at it in all these different facets, it mm. starts to look like perhaps it's something different, but it's not. Yes, right? yeah. It reflects maybe something different, but really. Look at us, girl. Yeah, it's all about one light. <laughs> 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 so speaking of change, um, let's talk about change management. Yeah. So fundamentally, change management is there is a change in my business, whatever it may be. It could be a system, it could be a process, it could be a culture, mm. it could be whatever you like. And what the thing that we're managing is how do we bring people along with this change? Mm-hmm. Right? So how do we make sure that A, our business doesn't 
fall apart as we're doing this change. Right. How do we make sure that um, whatever new systems, processes, or whatever it may be that we're introducing or enhancing our business that are getting kind of buy-in for it, and how do we make sure that um, we are in a, um, a position that we're communicating this change out in a way both internally and externally that will be useful and helpful and beneficial to us. Mm -hmm. So the buy-in part of it mm -hmm. is if you don't have um, your leadership team for sure, but the rest of your team um, accepting and seeing sort of the wisdom, you might say, of these ideas, the probability of them implementing it in any way that is likely to succeed is very, very slim indeed. Mm. Right. So the buying part is really important and lots of businesses spend a lot of time on what is the change and how are we going to roll this change out without giving an awful lot of attention to and how are we going to make sure that the people who are affected most by this change are taking part in it because they want to and mm. they see the wisdom of it as opposed to because they have to because I'm paying them. Right. The important part about change or the opportunity I should say for change is that we have the opportunity to create leaders of other people to lead this change. What we often do with a you know with innate leaders in Outback is we start to go into businesses, we form these, you know, we help them form these plans, and then we do what we call a revolutionary implementation strategy. Big word, big phrase, but what I mean by that is can you is it possible to roll out this change in such a way that it sends a message to your people that we are operating differently? So one of the things that you can do there is you can get their feedback and their input from the wider business or by the people who are affected, but not as a consultation in terms of, what do you think about this? Mm. We think it's great, brilliant. Or what do you think about this? Well, we think it's not that great. We think you should change this, this, and this. And then as, you know, as a team, as a leadership team, you go away and decide, well, actually, some of their ideas aren't that great. Some of their, you know, their ideas aren't, mm -hmm. are good. But what about instead, if you kind of um, socialize this idea with um, the wider business or the wider team, and you allowed them the opportunity to affect meaningful change in that change. So rather than just kind of go, here is our finished idea, what do you think of it? Which is basically saying, this is our finished idea, you're going to do it. Mm. Rather than that, we go, here's kind of our ideas as we've got it so far. What do you guys think? What holes do you mm. see? And then that also, I feel, lets the employee know that their input is valued and that they're yeah. valued. That, and, that's, and that's absolutely 100% true. Right? So they see that you're, you've said to them, here's our idea. It's not 100% finished. What do you think? Mm. And then they say, well, I think you haven't really thought of this or you haven't done this or I think we should be doing this. And then they see your plan manifestly change because of their input, mm -hmm. right? So if you go back to them with an idea that is effectively, you know, 99% the same as the idea that you gave them in the first place with a small, few small tweaks, you haven't got their buy-in. But if you instead go back to them with an idea that is, you know, 70% your, your, your original idea maybe, but 30% change, I mean, I mean, those percentages don't make any sense really. I'm not sure why I said it, but it really got to do with that your idea changes and flexes because of their input and they can see the thread, if you like, of mm. their input in your idea. Mm -hmm. 
That's kind of the first major point of it. If you do that, the teams who are affected by this change go, oh wow, actually I'm not, I'm not the victim of this change, I'm actually part of the agent who mm. is making this change happen. Mm -hmm. Another thing that you can do to create kind of buy-in is then after you've got this plan that is kind of influenced by people who are likely to be affected by it, you could say to them, so how do you guys think that you want to roll this out? And you give them the opportunity to start to uh, embrace the idea that actually I can have part, I can have a role in the implementation of this idea. Mm, they have a voice. They have a voice, but yeah. they have like an action too, right? Because mm -hmm. they're they're actively engaged in making this idea happen. Mm -hmm. The subtle thing that starts to happen if you do that is people start to feel actually this isn't a change that is being imposed on me. This is a change that first of all I had input into. And that I have responsibility for implementing. And if you can get people to implement on the points, especially that they kind of raised, you know, now it feels like it's their change too. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of the definition of buy-in, right? So mm -hmm. now, now they're bought into it because it feels like this is part of their change. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like they they'd probably be more likely then to want to do to do those things and yeah. to want to be a part of yeah. that change because it's partly their idea and, absolutely and, and i think you know that like that's it like you know like what you just said is key that it feels like it's their idea mm -hmm. and because it feels like their idea they want that idea to succeed mm -hmm. you know and and you know and that means that now you have not just the leadership team kind of championing this idea but you have kind of your business right. championing these ideas and crucially the people who are most affected by it mm -hmm. and then everybody is on this on sort of the same page yeah then it feels like we're on a journey together versus this is what management has done to us right well thank you so much again <laughs> no joe problem. for sitting down with me and taking the time to chat and well, th thank you for the offer i appreciate it oh my pleasure and thank you for sharing your your wonderful insight And that's it for this episode of Outback Talks. Thank you again to our three special guests, Jules, Lyndon, and Joe, for taking the time to sit with me. And of course, thank you for listening. Outback Team Building and Training helps organizations across North America build relationships through memorable team building, training, and consulting experiences. And our team has been recommended by over 14,000 corporate groups in the United States and Canada. For more expert advice on team building and training trends, visit the downloadable resources section of our website at outbackteambuilding.com to download your free copy of Team Building and Training Trends for 2019. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you may listen to your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Yasmin, and this is Outback Talks, the employee engagement podcast. Bye.